Monday, August 2nd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. How's everything? Things are hopping. It's Merger Monday. Really, it's Acquisition Monday. We have one in the retail industry, but we are going to start with the story of the day, and that is Square buying Afterpay, the Australian payments company, for $29 billion. This is an all-stock deal uh, that Wall Street appears to love because shares of Square are up 11%. Is that at all surprising to you that it's up 11%? A little bit, but I think it's also worth remembering, too, that with this release, they also released their quarterly results. And so, I think there probably is, maybe that is is part part uh, part where the enthusiasm uh, is coming from, because it was a very good quarter. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but let's talk about the Square, the square uh, deal here with Afterpay, because that, I think, is the bigger uh, headline. I think the skeptic uh, can look at this deal and, and say, well, Square is overpaying for something that's you know basically a feature. Uh, the glass half full investor might look at this and say, well, sometimes it's easier to buy it than to build it. We see that happen all the time. And in this case, they're buying a leader in a space that's lobbing up some very impressive growth numbers, and they're keying in on something that people clearly want. Um, I, I I kind of fall in the middle there. Like I, I think this deal actually makes sense. I mean, I, I think they're paying through the nose for it, but I think there's a reason why they're paying through the nose for it. It's because they don't have time to sit back and and try to develop something on their own at this point, I would imagine. Because buy now pay later has turned into such a such a, a popular space. There's all sorts of demand there from all sorts of different different merchant partners. We saw PayPal recently build out this buy now pay later feature in their app, right? That's 400 million some odd users. That's far, far bigger than where Cash App stands right now. So for me, Part of this was Times Square feels like they cannot let any more time uh, go by without having a major presence in the space. This purchase gets them that presence immediately with a well-established business that knows what they're doing. Uh, $29 billion is that they're paying basically around 60 times gross profit for Afterpay. Um, the flip side, hey, it's it's a great time for, for them to use uh, their, their stock as a currency, given where the share price is. Uh, so, so I, I think that's worth keeping in mind. But it is going to be something that you know, dilutes that share count close to twenty five percent. So this is a big, this is a big acquisition that that uh, they're going to need to make work. Is the buy now pay later space now at the level where every big financial company needs to be able to tell their board of directors, tell their shareholder base, tell themselves what their plan is? Because I can see some businesses saying, "No, we're not going into this." Um, I so I, I think that if you are you know if you're a fintech if you're in financial services I think you need to be looking at what kind of options you might provide here because I think the numbers show clearly there's demand for this now there's a right way to do it and a wrong way to do it it, it is a risky proposition if you get in there and you don't know what you're doing because it's kind of like you're you're having to kind of underwrite lending just just through a little bit of a different lens I mean there's going to be people on the hook for paying you back and if you're not charging interest if you're not charging late fees if you're kind of taking people at, at their word 
there, there are some consequences that come with that, but I think that's why we're seeing everyone from PayPal to MasterCard and Visa, we're seeing Apple doing it with Goldman Sachs, right? Uh, it only makes sense to see Square do this. And, and the interesting part of that is that because Square is so uh, heavily tilted towards physical retail stores actually using that hardware and software, I think this is going to be a, a real opportunity to get out there uh, for the smallest of small businesses to be able to offer for this key feature. I mean, it is it is absolutely a, a way to stoke engagement, uh, i.e., uh, purchases. Uh, but but there there is a right way and a wrong way to do it. And I think with Square, again, sometimes buying it is the, the better way to go. And at least they know in buying buying Afterpay. I mean, they're getting a, a, a reputable player in the space that they, they know what they're doing. And I think uh, that that can't be that can't be discounted. Longtime listeners will know that every once in a great while we'll have Scott Phillips, our colleague from Motley Fool Australia, the host of the Australian version of Motley Fool Money, on this podcast. And go back to mid-November 2019, he was visiting us in Alexandria. He was on Market Foolery. I asked him for a couple of stocks in Australia that Americans should know about. And he talked about Afterpay. And I'll just point out that in mid-November of 2019, shares of Afterpay were in the low 30s. <laughs> and today, it's somewhere in the neighborhood of $115 a share. Yeah. Um, let, let's get to the quarter, because Square was going to report on Wednesday, and they moved that up because of this deal. Gross profits in the second quarter, 91% higher than a year ago. Yeah, I could see some enthusiasm for the stock. Yeah, and I mean it's 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 worth remembering. Of course, this is a bit of a rebound quarter because at this time last year, uh, clearly the retail environment, particularly the physical retail environment, was a much, much different one. Um, so so that explains some of these numbers. But I mean, to your point, you have, you have total net revenue. $4.68 billion. That was up 143% from a year ago. You exclude Bitcoin from that, it's still up 87% from a year ago. And, and so, I mean, the numbers, Cash App, again, just really uh, delivering tremendous numbers. Cash App generating uh, better than $3.3 billion in revenue, better, better than $540 million of gross profit. That was up 177% and 94%, respectively. Uh, gross payment volume, and we've seen, oftentimes, we've seen that growth in that 24, 25, 30% range, maybe. Gross payment volume, $42.8 billion. That was up 88% from a year ago. Again, rebound quarter. That, that number is to be expected, but those are still really impressive numbers. And, and frankly, I mean, I think you have a very, uh, a very well-established uh, company here with an app in, in Cash App, they're they're building out the capability, the functionality, and I tell you what this really feels like it's shaping up to be is the battle of the super apps because we've we've heard with PayPal, we heard it last week in, in their earnings call, this 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 concept of a super app where you can go get everything in your financial life done within that one PayPal universe. I mean, Square is coming up with that same capability. They're a little bit behind, right? But they're still investing at a very, very rapid clip and they're pulling it off. I mean, they're, they're getting more users in. Um, it was interesting to note that in regard to Cash App, and I mean, that's really just such an important part of the business for a lot of reasons, but for Cash App, inflows per monthly transacting active customer nearly doubled compared to two years ago. 
Okay, so I mean, we would expect that number to be to be significant based on on just a year ago, but nearly double from two years ago. And so, ultimately, the reason why that matters is the growth in those inflows are ultimately what that's the primary driver of the cash app gross profit growth. And so, they want to see more and more of those deposits coming in. Is it is it fair to assume that maybe we see a lull in those inflows as stimulus uh, stimulus starts to wear off? Yeah, perhaps. But still, once you get them in there. If you can hit them with all sorts of different capabilities and services and features, well, that's really the idea at the end of the day, is to get them in and keep them in. And if you can look at that uh, that inflows metric is a bit more of a long-term sort of, of, of concept there, something you want to just focus on uh, over the longer haul, uh, I, I think that's going to ebb and flow. But really, it's about getting those users in there and, and keeping them. And it seems like Square is doing a good job of that. Before we move on, can I tell you what I hate about all of this? Yes. And by all of this, I mean Square buying Afterpay and Square moving up their earnings announcement. <laughs> What's that? I was going to buy Square this morning. Oh. I bought a bunch of stocks today. Square was on the list. And last night, the news broke. And I thought, well... <laughs> and and, and I, I apologize to the Square shareholders, including you, but I, I thought to myself... Well, hopefully the stock drops ten percent on this price tag, and I can buy it. I can buy it later at a cheaper price. But, yep, I was going to buy it this morning. And I, you know, it's funny that that happens to us sometimes. And I mean, I think it's it's always worth remembering uh, for listeners who aren't familiar. I mean, we have. A, we have internal trading guidelines that basically dictate when we can buy and sell. We have to shut up about them. We have to maintain a silent period. And, and when things are uh, locked down in our universe for, for potential services, we're not able to, to transact. So we, we do jump through some hoops. And, and I mean, you know, listen, I expect nothing less than that from you, Chris. I mean, you're one of the most stand up guys I know. And so to, to just to see that you, you're looking out for the dozens, first and foremost. And that really tells us all we need to know. But it's something I already knew, buddy. It's something I already knew. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> I just hope I get, you know, an eleven percent bump when I finally do buy it. Um, <laughs> let's move on to retail. Foot Locker is spending one point one billion dollars to buy two smaller athletic apparel retailers. And yes, I did already make the joke in my mind when I saw the story. But Locker has a billion dollars to spend, um, but they do. They're buying WSS, which is based in California. They're buying Atmos, which is based in Japan. And all kidding aside, uh, these are retailers with locations that are mainly in urban neighborhoods. Foot Locker is trying really hard to get out of malls. And I get that the stock is down a little bit. Maybe that's due to the price tag. But just from a strategy standpoint, this seems like a smart move. I, I don't disagree with you. I, I do think this is a smart move. I think Foot Locker is a very interesting business from the perspective of, you know, we talk often about time in the market is far more important than timing the market. Um, and Foot Locker is one of those cases where maybe that's not necessarily the case, right? Because you look at the business here, you look at their financials. And if you if you look at their financials, you don't even know what business you're looking at. I mean, I think you'd walk away looking at an income statement from Foot Locker and you'd be like, well, it just seems like a business is kind of spinning its wheels. It's not really able to grow. It's not making any progress over the last several years. But it does look like recently they've been able to to start to pick things up a little bit. 
And, and that makes sense, of course, with, with reopening and whatnot. But if you look at the last five years for Foot Locker, it's not been a good idea. It's been a bad investment. You've actually lost money, and the market is better than better than uh, returned better than 100 percent over that same same period of time. If you look at three months or three years, yeah, Foot Locker, you've, you've brought it. You've made 18 percent. Market's still beating you with with 56, 57 percent returns. But then you start looking at the one-year chart, you start looking at the year-to-date chart, and you start to see a business. This has been one where maybe it's a bit, maybe it's been a good value investment, right? Maybe if someone identified that there was a point here where the stock was mispriced based on its potential, because over the last year the stock has almost doubled, uh, it's having a very good year-to-date as well. And maybe this is a deal that helps them continue that. Um, I mean, to your point, this gives them some additional geographical uh, coverage that they didn't have before. And uh, the other thing I, I look at with any of these businesses in retail, even the legacy brands, is you want to see if they have any kind of a digital presence. I mean, it is they have to be able to move beyond that physical mall-based store. And, and interestingly enough, if you look at the last quarter results for Foot Locker, their digital business is is pretty strong. I mean, it was up 43% from the previous year and represented about 25% of total sales for the quarter. That was actually higher than those that beat management's expectations. And so they have a strong app. They have a loyalty program there, the FLX or the Flex app loyalty program they have there, the 20 million members now enrolled where that program is active. So they've clearly made some investments to that digital uh, digital presence and I think bringing bringing some more brands under their their umbrella. I mean that that certainly gives them a chance to expand their customer base, uh, which is ultimately what they need to focus on doing. So, maybe maybe there are some better days ahead for Foot Locker. It's great context because, um, yeah, this has been a challenged business over the past five, ten years. And that those digital numbers you cited, including the loyalty uh, program, that's that's higher than I would have guessed. Isn't so, it? you know, maybe maybe they can keep this going, but historically, this is one of those stocks when it's had a good run over a shorter period of time, that was the time to sell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is It is not the same as something like a Crocs, which is very specific, right? They've got something unique. I mean, Foot Locker isn't really unique from that perspective. Um, if you're a Nike guy or a Nike gal, then maybe you're thinking, I'm going to just buy it directly from Nike, and they've got that sneakers app. Or if you're an Under Armour fan, then maybe you're just buying those shoes directly from Under Armour. I mean, I know that a lot of my shopping behavior is kind of direct to consumer now in a lot of cases. Um, and so that's going to be a challenge. I think that Foot Locker is going to have to continue uh, to to battle. But I do. I mean, I mean, shoes are everybody's got. Everybody needs shoes, you know. And, and I mean, so that, that that is a big market opportunity out there. And if you can bring more choice under that umbrella, and, and you have a way to reach out to your customer uh, in that in that in that mobile uh, sort of paradigm today, well, that that is that's going to at least give you a fighting shot. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. You got it. Thank you. As always, people on the program have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.